There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. This week, uh, and for the next three weeks, actually, Joe is on vacation. So we've managed to solve the Joe problem. Replacing him is my main man, the guy I always turn to. You know who the hell I'm talking about. Mighty or Mycin, Mycin Adiasaur, man. How you doing, brother? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Good, I'm good. Good to be back. Good to be back. I yeah, love the way you put that replacing Joe. <laughs> man. So we'll 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 put oh, yeah, on like be fun. We have a lot of fun. We got a lot to talk about. Hell yeah, we do. And we got a good guest this week too. Producer Scott, you got us the guest, so I only feel it's appropriate that you give us the introduction as to who we're gonna be talking to here in a little. All right, guys. Well, it is Niners week, as you know, and we will be talking this week to Matt Crevin. Matt is the press box announcer for the San Francisco 49ers and a sports career coach. He's been working for the 49ers for, I believe, a, a little over 20 years. So he knows the team quite well and has had a, really a front seat to history of a lot of great games in Niners history, so if anybody can talk about the game from a Niners point of view, it's Matt. And we want to certainly do appreciate, Scott, you tracking Matt down. Uh, Usually it's Lanny that uh, coops all the guests, but this week, Scott, uh, because this was kind of a last-minute deal, a lot of you guys don't know this, but we were originally going to take three weeks off. We were just going to say, screw it, because Joe... Is going to be gone. He's going to a bowl game. He's coming out to L.A. for the holidays, see his sister, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so he's going to be gone. And then not to mention when he gets back, he gets to deal with a whole lot of crap in Washington because it's change time. Uh, but uh, that's going to preoccupy him. Um, 
We wish we weren't going to lose him to politics, but thus is the nature of his job. Uh, you live in D.C., chances are you work in politics. Um, so, uh, you know, there's there's really only one guy, I think, that that has the the cojones and the ability to fill, fill in that co-pilot spot. So that's why I turned to Meissen. And uh, certainly with, with Joe gone, the, the, the plan for a three-week holiday amidst Jeff Fisher being fired – the Rams looking at uh, John Gruden, even though he just said no. We'll get to all of that. We just kind of felt like it would be stupid to not have a podcast for almost a month during the middle of the season. <laughs> so, Mycen stepped up, and uh, and here we are, man. So, uh, I guess before we get Matt on, man, let's let's briefly touch on the Gruden subject because it's something that we can go away from and come back to because it's kind of always there and in the sports world anyways, uh, it was being reported uh, that the Rams were heavily, heavily linked to John Gruden, which, uh, depending on your perspective, is either dumb as hell or awesome. <laughs> now, I, I'm just going to flip it over to you, Myson. Where do you come down on it? You know, I, I actually like it a lot. And I know the, the big fear for everyone is, well, he's been gone for so long. You know, he hasn't coached in eight years, you know, and that's – to me, I look at that and I say that's a valid point. But then you look at the other side of it. He's been so close to the game. It's not like he's been away vacationing or anything like that. He still studies film every day. Like he watches more film than anybody else on TV that's not a coach. <laughs> you know, he still watches film every day. He understands it. You know, when you watch the when you watch Monday Night Football, he's calling out what guys are going to do and then they do it. You know, so he's still very much connected to the game. And I love the fact that he gets to work with the young quarterbacks with his QB show. And, you know, it really shows that he still has that passion for. It. So I have no problem with the uh, with the idea of him coming aboard and taking that head coaching vacancy, um, especially considering you have Jared Goff, who it's obvious still needs a lot of work. And Gruden is such an amazing QB coach, you know, so it's like it's it's almost like a perfect fit for him, you know, and I, I wouldn't say that the, even though I know he came out today and said that, you know, he's not thinking about it right now. He said right now, <laughs> you know, so I wouldn't say that the door is completely shut on that. But we'll see. And we are now joined by the press box voice of the San Francisco 49ers, Mr. Matt Krebin. Matt, how you doing? I'm sure you do a lot more than just that, though. So uh, take it away. Tell us about yourself. Well, I'm going to answer your first question first, and I'm doing just about right. So it's uh, it's a great time of year. You know, you got NFL uh, minus the Niners, of course, heading down into the playoff mode. So <laughs> always a fun time. Of course, you got college ball. I know we're not going to focus on that, but exciting time of year. Um, happy to uh, take a little time to chat with you. You asked me for a little bit of background. So uh, so here you go. Um I started, like many people in the sports industry, as an unpaid intern. Uh, I happened to start with the 49ers, so I was very, uh, very grateful for the opportunity to, you know, get involved with, um, you know, with that franchise back at that particular time. Uh, you know, it was a who's who on the roster of NFL legends. And I always tell people that, you know, haven't heard of me uh, or don't know anything about my background, that I'm, I'm the poster child for it about, hey, if you if I can make it, just about anybody can. Um, and just in a quick summary, you know, when I first started, literally seven and a half years prior to me starting with the 49ers, I am sitting on my parents' couch in a little rural suburb of the Bay Area watching the 1981 NFC Championship game. And I know I might be speaking to a bit of a younger audience, but YouTube it. 
that is really where Montana magic, and that's where the 49er legacy really started. Uh, I would have never thought of my wildest dreams that seven and a half years later, I'd be in the same locker room with Joe Montana. So pretty heady stuff for an intern, how to start, you know, get my break into sports. Got it with the 49ers as an unpaid public relations intern. Been able to maintain that relationship now. We're uh, just at the end of my 24th season. And 18 of those have been the Press Box PA, which is a job that I absolutely covet. I don't take it for granted. Uh, it takes a lot of work to stay on top of it, but it's something I truly enjoy. So I hope that kind of gave you a nice little background. And uh, maybe I didn't go into detail on too much, but I'll let you ask whatever you want to ask. Well, I think the first thing that we should start out with is you mentioned the playoffs are coming up and neither of these teams are headed. <laughs> it's been really across the NFC West. It's been a tragic year, hasn't it? You know what? It's funny. You can use that word. I never use that word tragic because I think I've just got a different perspective. It is football. I'm not Very picking true. on you, by Very the true. way, on the word choice. Um, <laughs> it has been a less than eventful season. I mean, you know, of course, you know, we rewind and go back to the rearview mirror and think, OK, what's this NFC West specifically, not the conference? Just what's this division going to look like? Uh, I think most people would have thought, OK. Uh, Seattle is still there. Uh, everyone thought Arizona was going to be really their stiffest competition. And, and it just outside of Seattle, everything else has just been a complete disaster. Um, look at the mess. I, I, I don't I can't speak to the Cardinals, but it looks like Arians may have just kind of lost his time slot there. He's just run out of the locker room. Um, the Rams, uh, dare I use the word, they're an absolute mess, but they're an absolute mess. Uh, San Francisco goes without saying that they're in you know just a massive massive hole and it's probably going to be another three to four years until they get out of it so yeah nfc west um who, you know i didn't think going into this year that it would be as bad uh, i went in with realistic expectations but i got to be honest i thought going in i thought the niners would be good for five wins maybe six uh i didn't think in my wildest dreams that it would just be one well i, I you know before we kind of get into the game itself i think that there have been questions about both coaches now uh fortunately for 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 john fossil i mean there aren't too many quite well there's some questions about him but everybody knows he's not you know, this is a stopgap for him he likely uh well i mean hopefully he would be retained if, if you're a rams fan because he's done a heck of a job with those special teams especially johnny hecker but uh you look at the expectations for what the Rams had, maybe what the 49ers had. What were the 49er expectations with Chip Kelly? Were, were, were people looking at Chip's first couple of years in Philly and thinking, okay, this is the product we're going to get? Or did, was there a sense that this was going to be a rebuilding job and quite possibly not even a, 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 a full chance for Kelly given the way it's gone? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I think anyone going in was hopeful that Chip Kelly would be a guy that, you know, all of these coaches are really headstrong. And of course, they've all got huge egos. They wouldn't be where they were if they didn't. But at some point, you've got to be able to adjust to what you have. And that's, I think, in my humble opinion, where the Niners uh, have gone astray. Um, you know, I, I thought, again, going in, and I'm going to phrase this horribly, so just bear with me. But I thought for sure they were going to run Kaepernick until the kid couldn't run anymore. Uh, and that couldn't be any further from what they've done. How many read options have we seen? Has, is that really playing to the strength of, of Colin Kaepernick? I don't think it is. Uh, is he a drop back passer? I don't think he's proven that yet. Is he an athlete? Without a doubt. So 
you know, there's that piece. Has Chip Kelly been able to make adjustments? And let me just go back to the last 49er home game. Uh, I, it, it's painful to even go there, but the Jets, they, uh, they had to seem to have a really good game plan that was working. Absolutely having gash plays on offense and shutting them down on defense and then come out for the second 30 and completely go polar opposite, other end of the spectrum, crawl into a, a hole and, and completely fold your tent. That is unacceptable in the NFL to not be able to make adjustments or to be able to put your foot on the gas and really, I'm sorry, but you have to stomp someone in the throat when you got a chance to do that. So I think that's, uh, I think that's where Chip Kelly maybe uh, has some improving you know, to do. It's uh, play with the roster. Now, let me just be clear. What roster does he really have to play with? So I can't say that it's all the head coach. I can't say it's all in the coaches or the coaching staff in their, in their game plan. Uh, I also think that cupboard is pretty darn dry in terms of talent. And uh, so they haven't been able to get as creative as I'm sure they'd like to be because there's just they just don't have the ability to do that with with the roster they have. Absolutely. I just want to ask one last thing here, Mice, and then I'll flip it over to you. I All saw right. somebody mention this past week um, one of the scouting guys, well-respected guy on Twitter, he tweeted something like, I've looked at the all 22s of, of the Niners game from last week, and, and I can't even figure out what coverage they're in. Um, <laughs> did, 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 did you, did you, you, you've watched this team for so long. I mean, you know when something's operating, you know when something's not. How, how close to accurate is that statement? Is that really where the Niners are at right now? Because if so, they're not too far away from the Rams, and this should be a competitive game. Well, uh, to answer your last point first, usually you do the first point, but this one, yeah, I think this should be a competitive game because I think both teams are in somewhat of a disarray. Uh, to get back to your like looking at the all 22 camera angles and saying, hey, what what coverages, you know, any moderate football fan is going to know and be able to see if they've studied any film whatsoever is going to know what are they running. Um, so to your point. Again, this is my opinion. You're asking for it, so I'll give it, and I'm not shy about it, is that goes to coaching. Now, that's not just the head coach. That's your defensive coordinator, and that's your position coaches. Uh, you get a bunch of high school kids, and you tell them, you know, this is what we're going to run. We're going to run a 3-4, or you're going you know, to move a safety over. Whatever, whatever scheme you are going to run, you should be able to see that at least they're making the – that is, oh, okay, I get it. Fundamentally, there might be some individual breakdowns, some assignments may be blown, but you'll see what they are at least attempting to run. Uh, but then there's always, again, I, I don't want to hammer these guys too hard because a lot of times you try to disguise coverages, right? You can't just be that predictable on O or on D. But to see that they're just, you know, whether it's the physical talent is just not there, whether these guys are not being coached up during the week, um, I think there's debate for both. Okay. So – I, I'm looking at the 49ers and I'm looking at the Rams and I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's a good chance Chip Kelly might get the door as well. <laughs> you know, um, he's just he was brought in. He's supposed to have this high powered offense that just moves the ball at will and just has so much success. But it just has not been the case since he's got there. He's done absolutely nothing with Colin Kaepernick other than make him lose weight. <laughs> you know, it's just. It's just kind of been everything that was expected has just not happened. And then I look at the Rams and it's just like, well, Jeff Fisher is gone and um, there's no telling who's going to be gone with him out the door. And you don't know what's going to happen with this roster, with either roster, really. I mean, I've never seen turnover like I did last year offseason 
uh, with the 49ers where half the team retired, everyone left for free agency, you know. So it's so much turnover. I see the NFC West just kind of becoming a different division. Um, it's recent years been known for the ability to run the ball, play hard defense, and the games to be very physical. Um, with all the talk about the Rams hiring a new coach, everything is circled around a um, offensive-minded coach. If Chip Kelly was to be gone out the door, what type of coach do you think they would be bringing in? Like, would it be that NFC West fight, 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 grounded out defense, real physical coach or what do you think? Do you think they're going to kind of change up? Because right now their roster is so broken down and incomplete. They can really rebuild this thing to however they want it. So if Chip Kelly was to leave, what do you think they would bring in? Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, you got a crystal ball for me to rub there for a minute? <laughs> You're asking. It's a totally legitimate question. But I got to tell you, there is no really you know, valid answer for that. Um, you get into this coaching debate. And, and by the way, I don't want to take us down a, a different path, but you know, is it the coach that's going to be showing the door? Is it the GM that's going to be showing the door? Who knows how that's going to shake off? You know, the, the, the ownership's got to figure out a couple of things first. You know, where where are they willing to cut ties? Are they really going to just, you know, pay out, you know, Chip Kelly and then just, you know, suck that money up? That's probably not going to be uh, an easy thing for the current management to do. Um, are they going to show the GM the door, bring in a new GM? A new GM is probably going to want to hire his own guy. So they are in a very tough spot. Uh, there's just no way around it, to be very, very clear. Regardless of who is going to be exiting or who is going to be staying, uh, they've got to stockpile drafts. They've got to you know, just get some kids in here that can play. Uh, now, to your question, I don't want to evade it. Who do they bring in? You know, It's all hypothetical. Uh, and, I, and I break this down into kind of like two different categories. Do you want to go retread? And I say that with all due respect, like a guy like Mike Shanahan, who's who's won Super Bowls, who was the offensive coordinator the last time the Niners were actually in the Super Bowl, highly regarded. Uh, and maybe he brings in his son, Kyle. Could that be, you know, kind of a GM head coach package deal? Um, you know, would the 49er fan base like something like that? The guy's been there. He's been tested. He's been proven. But, you know, he's not a young, young guy, but still a, a pretty dynamic offensive mind. Or do you bring in someone else that, you know, is young, uh, that maybe they've built their, you know, built their portfolio on being a defensive minded guy? At this point, I don't really think it's going to make a damn bit of difference, part of the language, because whether you bring an offensive coach in or a defensive coach in, those coaches are going to want to play to the skills and the talents of what they've got. The 49ers don't have any of that. So you're still at the, you know, this is a chicken and egg situation here. Uh, I really don't know what the right answer is. Everyone, everyone in 49er land is, is barking heavily for, for change. Um, and I just, quite honestly, uh, I really don't know where the, you know, where, wh- which direction is the best direction to go to. Do you bring and And now, you know, is the 49ers job a coveted job that it once used to be? Certainly not. You know, do people want to come in and, and work for this management team, ownership team? Uh, yeah, they've got a nice new facility, but they've got no players. It's going to take another three to five years. You're going to have to get someone in here that is going to want to get their hands on a project. This is a project. So uh, I don't have any names. So that I eerily certainly... similar. It's so eerily similar, right, <laughs> very, Mason? Very similar. <laughs> Uh, go on. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just crazy no. how similar the situations are. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, the Rams are in a similar situation. You know, they're just a year. I'm not sure exactly how off from getting, you know, the nice new sparkling jewel of NFL stadiums and, you know, not to turn it into a college, you know, vernacular, but those are all nice recruiting pieces to have, you know, players that are going to want to go play uh, and be in LA and the lifestyle and all that. The Niners are just, you know, 49ers are just, it's, it's not a, a go-to destiny, right? Or destination rather right now. Uh, and everything goes in cycles in this league. We all know that uh, the team across the bay is in vogue. And, you know, look what the look what a, a three year coach, uh, you know, it took him three years to rebuild that, get rid of the just absolute hideous contracts that that franchise had. And and by the way, Jack Del Rio is a defensive guy. Personally, if you ask me which you did point blank, I don't have a name, but I would rather get a defensive minded head coach and then bring in a, a dynamic offensive coordinator. That would be the way I would do it if I were given the decision-making powers. Um, but let's just get back into this week's game. You know, both teams yeah. are, are where they are, right? We can sit there and dissect that till the cows come home. It's We all know that. This might be an opportunity for the 49ers to actually get a second win. Do we actually want it? You know, you're looking at, you know, <laughs> do you really want a win? I mean, there is no such thing as laying down in this league. These guys are not going to lay down. But at some point... You know, Cleveland's looking at a pretty decent draft pick. Niners are right there behind them. Uh, these guys are competitors. You don't want to lay down. 49ers offense might actually be able to do something because look where the Rams rank, you know, in in the league in terms of, I mean, I think, I, don't hold me to this, but I think they're at the bottom of the barrel in terms of points allowed per game. Uh, they haven't scored a touchdown in at least three to four games this year, uh, including, by the way, when they first met the Niners in Santa Clara. So someone's going to have to break here. Maybe this is the Niners' chance to get that second win of the season. I don't know. You know, I'm glad you say let's get back to the game because that was actually my next question is, oh, what are you expected to see this, this weekend? Because I look at this game and I say, okay, you have two teams who are pretty much playing the, some of the worst football in the league this year, regardless of what the record is. Yeah, the Rams have four wins. If you watch them play over the last couple of weeks, you never would guess that they have four wins. <laughs> you know, so they're, both teams are playing some pretty bad football right now. And I would even go as far as to say the Rams in recent weeks are playing worse than the 49ers. You know, uh, there's games where they just – they're not even looking like they deserve to be on the same field as the opponent. Now – of course, those are the last couple of weeks have been, with the exception of last week, have been non-division games. And then when they play in the division, the games tend to be a little more competitive, especially against the 49ers. For whatever reason, there's always some type of crazy game that happens there. But this weekend, I kind of look at it. I just say, you know, I, I'm not sure where this game goes. You know, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat of you. Do you want to win? <laughs> you know, uh, the Rams don't even have a first round pick. So uh, that all they have to rely on right now, as far as early picks, is a second round pick. Do you want to really push yourself even further away from getting some of that talent that drips over into the second round. Uh, so I look at it, I say, well, you know, you got the 49ers, they're, they're, they're kind of deflated. You got the Rams who are legitimately deflated after firing their coach, uh, Jim Fossil, hell of a special teams coach, but clearly if you listen to him in his interviews and over his head, so the teams are both just kind of going away. Um, so what when you see those two situations like that where everything is just kind of going up in flames with two teams, two just really bad teams, I look at it, I say there's a legit chance this could be a really good game because they're both so bad. You know, no one's really more superior than the other. But what do you get out of it? You know what? We don't know each other all that well, but I'm going to have to agree with you. I will predict in my best Jimmy the Greek. You guys know who Jimmy the Greek is? 
No, absolutely. I don't, unfortunately. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All I right. got 28. <laughs> you should still know who Jimmy the Greek is. They made a damn 30 for 30 on him. Come on now. But anyway. Uh, uh, I, happen to, I happen to agree with you, and uh, I think this will be a, uh, a really hard-fought battle. Both teams coming off just uh, a whooping. Uh, just no other way around it. The Rams are in Seattle, and San Francisco obviously uh, just got worked over in Atlanta. Um, they both have some unique pieces still there. I mean, Todd Gurley can still run if he's getting any blocking, and if that scheme works, um, you know, Alec Ogletree on defense, and uh, who's that guy they bring up at safety, but he plays a linebacker. His name has totally escaped me now. Mark Barron. Mark Barron. Mark Barron, thank you. So, you know, these guys still have some potential game changers. Um, the Niners, do they really have any game changers? I don't know. Carlos Hyde has been up and down. I really think that this is going to be a really good, hard-fought battle. Um, of course, then there's the historical standpoint. The Niners have not played the Los Angeles Rams in Los Angeles since 1979, totally useless factoid. I get it, but they were in L.A., but they were in Anaheim. So technically, this is the first time this series, which is this goes back, you know, this series goes back, you know, many, many moons. Um, but so there is some cool history there. Uh, but I happen to agree with you. I think this is going to be uh, I'm not going to say it's going to be an up and down track meet, but I think it will be tight. I think it'll be hard fought. I think the both these teams have uh, great pride, great history. And I, in my heart of hearts, I'd love to see both of these teams really get after it and just lay it all out. These guys that both are going absolutely nowhere fast, um, you know, open up whatever offense they can possibly open up and just let it rip. Um, I, that's what I think this game will be like. I hope that I'm right. Uh, I can't tell you who's going to come away with the W, but I, uh, I think I, I don't think it's going to be uh, a wipeout one way or the other. I don't think either team is good enough to l- allow that to happen. So I, I'm, you're looking at maybe like a, a 17 to 14, 17, 13 type game. That's kind of what I see. That's, I think that's probably about dead on for what I would have guessed. What I'm curious about is, you know, you talked about a guy who the Niners would bring in, defensive-minded guy who knows how to work around. He can bring in a dynamic guy. I'm wondering if the 49ers don't try and do what they did once before. And there's a fellow in there that's already in the Bay Area who's proven he can run a hell of a defense and adapt to the offensive players that he has in David Shaw. I wanted him for L.A. I think you're going to be hard-pressed to get him away from his alma mater, especially with the success he has there and, and the freedom that he has because he has been so su- successful and he is such a great ambassador for the university but I think that David Shaw could have an enormous amount of success in the NFL if he wanted to make that leap. The question here is, though, after the Balky Harbaugh situation, would Balky even consider that? Well, will Balky even be in a position to consider that? I guess that's the first that's the first question. And would they want to go round two with bringing in a Stanford coach? The first one worked out amazingly well. Uh, but you've hit all the points that I would hit. You know, would Shaw want to leave? I mean, no one's no one's bulletproof. David Shaw is not bulletproof. You know, uh, once the recruiting dries up and, and the talent kind of goes to different schools in the Pac-12, Stanford will, will you know, come back down. And like I said, everything goes in cycles, whether it's pro or college. But right now, I would think this, you know, this is just a rhetorical question. But if you're David Shaw, it's like, dude, do you want that job? Is that, you know, OK, great. It gets you in the league. But do you want that job? Is that the job you would leave a Stanford University for? 
Hmm. I don't know. I'd be, I'd be very hard fought to say that's, that would be his ideal spot to make the move. If he's going to make a move. I can totally understand and appreciate that. I mean, Really, it's a question of whether or not either guy would want uh, or excuse me, either team would be able to lure a guy like Shaw into their current predicament. If you're the Rams, you have absolutely no draft capital. And the only way you could get draft capital would be to sell your best player in Aaron Donald. Nobody else is going to get you up into the first round. Tremaine Johnson might have, but you franchise tagged him. And so now you have to work out a deal with him. Um, so you hit the note on seventeen fourteen, and and looking at the type of game that this is going to be, the Rams defense is a little bit more stingy, but they too do tend to get gashed by the run and by quarterbacks that can move in the pocket. Chip Kelly hasn't done it a lot this year with the read option. Is do you think there's a point where he just says, "Okay, we've got nothing left to lose. Let's open this game up, move Kaepernick, and put the Rams in a difficult situation." I have been thinking that thought for weeks now. Why are you not running him? I mean, again, I don't want to. You know, this sounds horrible, but run him until he breaks. I know that sounds really cruel. It's not as though he's a horse. <laughs> But you've got a guy clearly that that's where his best attributes are is to make something happen on the outside and then to use his athleticism because his quarterbacking skill is is diminished. And that's proven ever since Harbaugh was pulling his strings. He's just, you know, incrementally gone down. Why wouldn't they open the door? I mean, open that playbook. Pardon me. And just open it up. Give the defense something else to have to cover. You know, these guys have just been so predictable and so vanilla. And I, I mean, I've lost track of how many three and outs that 49er offense has had and how many drive kills that they've had. I, I've been saying to myself, you know, OK, Gabbert, you kind of pretty much know what you've got in him as a quarterback. Um, why aren't you meaning 49ers? Why aren't you using and playing to Kaepernick's strengths? So, yeah, you're damn right. I would love to see them run him. Uh, why not? I mean, that's, I mean, I, I just kind of scratched my head at this. I've been saying this for, since the season started, I thought that was where Chip was going to go with this guy. I think we could sit here on this show and nice and I'll toss it to you so we can let Matt get out of here in an appropriate amount of time. But I think we could, we could literally spend an hour on this show saying things in a nebulous way and people wouldn't be able to figure out if we were talking about the Rams or the 49ers. There are just so many similarities <laughs> this week. It's, it's almost uncanny. Myson, what you got? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that likes to watch a lot of tape and, you know, I look for, Know, what's the weakness? Because I feel like you can't be you can't be good if you don't know what your weaknesses are. You don't improve on. Them. So I'm always looking for the weaknesses with the 49ers. It's odd to say this very odd because just two years ago, this area was one of the best areas in football. Uh, but I look at the I look at them. And I know you mentioned how Carlos Hyde has kind of been up and down. And, you know, um, there's just not a lot of success consistently running the ball. Again, another similarity with the Rams. But I look at this offensive line for the uh, uh, 49ers, and I just feel like so many of the problems start there. What's the what's the talk been like in town, just around the 
the, the just the the trenches like there's just not enough really happening there on both sides in fact you know both the offense and the defense you know just in the trenches of the 49ers what's what's the talk like what are what are people expecting to be done there is there is there's a, a hope for you know that to get fixed because everyone's talking about they need a quarterback they need a quarterback but what's the point of putting a young quarterback in there or any quarterback if he's going to get killed you know you don't have a running game to lean on so how, how, are people really are people expecting more from there? Or are they just kind of looking over it? Like, I feel like there should be more talk about the 49ers offensive line. Yeah, maybe there isn't enough talk about it because there's nothing left to talk about. Um, you guys know enough football to know that it, games are won at the line of scrimmage. And look at the Rams defensive line. That That's still a formidable front. Uh, the Niners cannot match up. I mean, they've just got some guys here. And I, I'm sorry, I don't want to you know demean them because, you know, hey, what if their moms are listening? They get all pissed off at me. But. These are guys I have no idea who they are. Andrew Gardner, and they just waved a guy that I had no idea who he was. Josh Allen. There's these moving pieces, and I, I know they're all NFL talent, so I'm saying this in all due respect. Um, and I'm just going to accentuate this point by saying this. Look look at the Cowboys and look where they have put their salary cap and what percentage has been put to their, to their uh, line of scrimmage. Look at the Oakland Raiders. Look where they have put their cash uh, on their offensive line. And look how clean Derek Carr is staying week in and week out. Yeah, he's getting a couple sacks here or there, but the offensive line play in San Francisco is nowhere near that. Um, of course, a part of that is due to guys uh, leaving the club. Part of it is due to guys just retiring, and they haven't been able to get these guys that they've drafted to be able to produce. So it's it's mixed match. It's a patchwork offensive line, and because of that, yeah, you're not you're going to get a running back that's not going to get any clear lanes. You're going to get a quarterback that can't even make you know his second progression. He's got one look, and that's about all he's got time for. So, I mean, it's 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 a tough one. Uh, but the talk is that just kind of goes back to bulky is kind of what I hear. Now, you can't point the finger and say, hey, it's all one dude's fault because that's not right. Uh, but people look at his draft history. They look at where it's gone uh, and how south it's gone because of that. Now, Grant City has had a couple early hits early when he started in. Um, but since then, it's been a steady decline in terms of talent. And they haven't decided to put their their money there. But look conversely to the teams that have decided to put their money in the offense or defensive line and look where they are. So I don't want to bounce around your question, but that's kind of the way I look at it is there's just not a lot of skill across the board on this roster, offensive line, defensive line. There's just no, there's no wide out threats. There's no tight end threat. There's no, there's no threat anywhere. There are no game changers up and down this roster. Well, you know, I've asked you about the weaknesses of both the Rams, what you thought about the Rams' weaknesses in, as well as the 49ers, and, you know, we've gotten down to that part. So now I guess the only thing I have to ask you is what do you what do you think the score will be this weekend? What are you predicting um, between two teams with a lot of weaknesses? Um, one of the things that Jeff Fisher said, one of his last, like, eye-popping quotes before, get, get, you know, being kicked out the door was he called out, you know, Les Seed and saying the Rams – there's not enough depth. <laughs> you know, he said that he basically saying this roster isn't good enough, you know, and which is you know almost word for word what you were just saying a moment ago. You know, so you have these two teams and, you know, they're going up against each other. And I know we both agree that it's probably going to be a good game because of the similarities and how much they have struggled. It's probably going to be a game where they come fired up. What do you have? Uh, what do you have your score set to be? Yeah, I'm going to give you my, my punchline at the very end, but I'll, I'll kind of build up because why not? It's Hollywood. I might as well build this thing up. I think that, <laughs> you know, it's going to be interesting to see what gives. Uh, uh, you know, uh, there's been a huge premium on scoring points for both of these teams. I mean, Seattle, or pardon me, 
Los Angeles was uh, in Seattle last week, and I think they got a field goal out of the whole game. Um, yeah. San Francisco, you know, scoring points just seems to be against their their whole general outlook right now. Both teams really, really struggling to get anything going offensively. Um, the Dan- the Rams have some defensive uh, pieces in place, I think, that can really shut another, you know, put another shutout on the board. Again, I think this game gets down to one of these 17-14 ball games. I don't know who's going to get that extra field goal. <laughs> and, and where that's going to come from. I don't know how the Niners are going to get some touchdowns, but I think there's going to be a couple of big plays uh, somewhere along the line. Could be a fumble, scoop, and run. I, I just don't know, but I think it's going to be tight. And I think I'm looking at, like I said earlier, but I'll repeat it. I'm thinking it's going to be about a 17 to 14 ball game. I don't see either of these teams getting beyond 17 points. I just don't think they have the capabilities to do it. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, really quick, I'm going to uh, say with me, my prediction is it's 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 a, the kind of double sided. Um, there's been reports that J- Jared Goff may not play this weekend and that they may the Rams may start Sean Mannion. I look at it as if Sean Mannion starts, I think the Rams win. <laughs> if Jared Goff starts, I think they lose. Do you think it makes a difference? I don't. I really don't. I think, you know, I, I think um, Goff is just his eyes are wide open. He just again, I'm going back to the. To the highlights that I saw against uh, against Seattle, it just looked like a kid um, that just didn't have good field awareness, just couldn't quite execute. And there was there were plenty of opportunities against a fairly decent Seattle defense. He just couldn't make a play. I mean, you guys all saw the same stuff that I did. A couple, you know, a wide open opportunity for a touchdown, couldn't make the throw. Uh, wasn't a, you know wasn't a defender within ten yards. Uh, his run down the sideline where he just didn't have the field awareness. Like, hey man, there might be a safety coming in hot. I better duck out of bounds and live to play another down. I just think he's uh, just not. He hasn't. It hasn't popped for him yet. So you put a Mannion in there, um, and that's a kid from Oregon State, right? Correct. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. You know what? I don't know. Is there a really huge trade off there? I doubt it. I don't think one's going to make a big difference. Um, again, I don't look at the other side. I don't think there's a big drop off. Either way, if you put a Gabbard in over a Kaepernick, um, I think that's there's that's equal. So I'm going to say that the quarterbacks are going to nullify themselves out. Uh, I just think, again, at the end of the day, I think the Rams have more defensive firepower, and I think that'll be the difference. That is fair enough. Uh, well, let me get you out of here on, on on this question, and I realize it's 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 asking a lot here, but what do you think? the future holds for the NFC West. There's just, it's, 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 it's really hard to know. A lot of it depends on, on the, uh, on who they hire, how they hire, but just kind of couching it within the context of the way the league is going and what we see around the league. What do you think the future holds for this conference? Cause it's gotta be better than it was next year. It, it just has to be for the conference or for the division. Division I'm in. Excuse me. Yeah, no, no worries. I just want to make sure I got your question. Uh, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times and I'll, I'll repeat it because it's important. I think everything you guys all know this, everything goes up and down in cycles. Seattle's window um, is about to shut. There's just too many things that can happen with rosters. Guys will move on for more cash. Uh, Pete Carroll will run out as welcome. Something will happen in Seattle uh, right now. They're still the best of what the NFC West has to offer. There's just no two ways about it. Uh, but that window will come down. Who's going to be the next team to step up? I don't think San Francisco is that team. Everyone thought it was going to be Arizona this year. Next year, I think there's going to be a lot of changes. I think there'll be some huge changes in Arizona. I think there's going to be some huge changes, obviously, in L.A. They have 
you know, to fix that situation. It's interim at this point. And then there's the Niners. I think that, you know, who knows what is going to happen there? You know, what is going to happen with the coach, with the GM, with anything? Are they going to stay put? So that's a great question. And I think it's a question that everyone wants to know. Everyone in the NFL wants to know what has happened to this once dominant NFC West division where, you know, three out of the four years, it was this team at uh, the top team out of this conference division, rather, that was going to the Super Bowl. And it couldn't have fallen any further, any faster. So great question. And I don't know if if I really have the answer. Uh, I, I just see Seattle uh, with the pieces they have, as long as they keep that roster intact, that's still going to be an eight to nine win team next season. And everyone else is going to struggle to be at a six and seven win. That's just my prediction. That is perfectly fair, and uh, before we let you get out of here, we always like to give our guests the opportunity to talk about projects that they have coming up. If they have a charity or a foundation or something that they do in their personal lives that they would like to push, this is your platform to use to tell people where you find you on social media. Whatever you want, this is your time. Uh, Well, I always appreciate that. Uh, This is the, the plug away if you want to plug away segment, right? Absolutely. You can tell your wife you love her, your kids you love them. This is just we, – we like to give our guests the opportunity to do that. <laughs> nah, fair enough. I'll keep it really uh, straightforward for, for your listeners and for your people that are you know attached to you guys. Um, voice of the box. I'm going to say that slowly one last time. It's all one word, but it's voice of the box. It's a business that I started years ago, which is really dedicated to helping college students and graduate students and young professionals that want to work in the industry of sports, not as an athlete. How can they help put themselves in a position to put together a good, solid career search process? That is what I do. It's what I'm passionate about. People can find me on social media. They can find my website and then everything there, uh, excuse me, everything on my social media is there, but it's voiceofthebox.com. So, and the Twitter is at voice of the box. Facebook is facebook.com voice of the box. You can find it there. So anything and everything that you'd want to learn about me, my background and actually what it is that I do to help enhance these, you know, the young professionals um, and I'll just, and you know, a lot of things are taught in colleges and in universities of, Hey, you gotta, you gotta network. You gotta put a resume together. You gotta get practical experience. You gotta go out and get these little internships. Great. All perfectly good advice what voice of the box is geared for and what it does and the results it gets is really taking that and then saying, great, how do you do this now? You've been told you need to go out and do this. Now, how do you go out and do it? And that's the piece. That's the gap. That's not taught. So voice of the box, uh, it's, it's a career coaching, uh, platform and people get to work directly with me. I don't farm anything out. So I'll kind of leave it at that, but it's something that I take great pride in and certainly enjoy. So again, one last time, it's voiceofthebox.com. That's where you can find me. I'm going to have to hit you up, man. Uh, get my career launched. I'm in a lull. Uh, Matt, I can't thank you enough for taking time out today to, to spend with us. And it's been a real pleasure talking to you. We do hope that we can have you back on in the future when the Niners and the Rams meet because we know it's going to happen. So we can sort of schedule things like this in advance. But I can't thank you enough for squeezing us into your busy day. We want to meet that half hour deadline. So we'll let you get out of here. But thank you so much. Yep. Happy holidays to you and all your listeners. And uh, anytime you guys want to chat, more than happy. So I appreciate you guys taking the time. Hey, thanks so much, Matt. Thank you, Matt. All right. 
Wow. So uh, it's not too often that you get to talk to somebody that's been with an organization for that long on the show. Usually we're talking to people who've reported on organizations for that long, but not necessarily been in the organization for that long. Uh, Mason, do you agree with the 1714 assessment? I think it's going to be somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, now, again, with me, it depends on which quarterback plays for the Rams. Um, as I think that Mannion will be a little more efficient. Uh, but I do think it's going to be somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, I wouldn't be completely surprised if it turned out to be like 20. You know, I could see them getting two field goals for either team. Uh, I could see it being like a 20 to 13, 20 to 14 game max. I don't really think that anyone should expect much more than that as these offenses have just been so uh, so bland and just pathetic, really, for the most part. Um, I watched the Rams and I was studying tape and, uh, it's crazy how often on first down, you know, when the Rams come out and they pass it, they have four guys go out on routes and all four guys will run five yard hitches. And it's just, it's, it's so predictable at this point, you know, and the 49ers aren't any better. You know, they'll come out in first down, they're running right up the gut, the same exact ISO every single time. It doesn't change, you know, so the offenses are both so bland and just boring and really kind of pathetic that when you look at it, you you have to you have to actually just be honest and say there's there's just little chance for this game to be too high scoring. Now, considering both teams have played so poorly, is it completely out of the realm of possibility that this ends up being a 28 to 31 game? Absolutely not, because you never know what you're going to get from the other side of the ball with the inconsistencies. But my money's on a pretty low scoring game. Yeah, amen to that. I don't really think that either of these offenses have the ability to to create a high scoring game. I think you're looking at um, what do you, what's the word I'm looking for? Inept, inept offensive uh, uh, teams. So uh, the big question is going to be, I think, as you said, where do the Rams go for quarterback? Do they stick with? Uh, Jared Goff, even though the season's lost and he doesn't seem to be progressing at all, or do they make the switch to a uh, a guy like Sean Mannion, who a lot of people think may understand the offense better, uh, but hasn't been fully been given the opportunity to show what he can do? Um, are you are you in favor of benching Goff? I am. I really am. I, I don't think that he was ever ready to play. Um, now, granted, my preseason prediction was that he would start seven games, um, which is what he's on pace to do. But even in that prediction, I felt that he was going to start seven games because they're going to throw him in there after the season was lost. And that's kind of what's happening. But I still didn't think that he was ready to play. He was definitely someone I look at uh, preseason way back in January scouting and everything. I said, this guy's not ready to play. He needs to sit. You know, he, whoever takes him is going to have to sit him. Uh, I stand by that. I still think he's not ready. Uh, I think that the uh, experience is good for him. Yes, I agree with that part. But I also look at the other side of it. I say, man, you can do so much damage to throwing a guy in there early. You know, hits like the one that he took this past week is, is not something that, uh, that you shake off very easy. You know, those are things that stick in the back of your mind, you know? So now he probably might be a little more hesitant and he might stand in the pocket a little longer than what he needs to, (laughs) where you get killed in the pocket, you know? So I don't think that, um, I don't think that playing him is necessarily 
the smartest move in the world. Um, I do think that benching him probably will be good for him just so that he doesn't have to take unnecessary punishment. You know, the season's lost. He's not ready clearly to play. So why would why put him out there just to take a beating? That's that doesn't make much sense to me. That's kind of where I'm sitting with it. Mostly the the the, the knock that I've had against golf is this is a guy who clearly looks like he came out of a bear raid system. It's it's plain as day. He struggles. He can make some nice throws. He can make some good one read throws. He can fit the ball into the into some nice windows. Now, I will say this. The one thing that I think that's working in against Goff are, is the fact that his receivers cannot catch a damn thing. They can't catch a cold. They couldn't catch a disease. Uh, I'm wondering what his numbers would look like if they were uh, uh, able to catch the football. Um, I'm not saying that the guy would be significantly better. I'm not saying that he would still be worth starting. But where do you come down on the fact that this team can't seem to catch? You know, that's a fair question. Now, um, let me sh- let me just try to be as as honest as I can be. <laughs> I know I'm going to piss somebody off that's out there listening. So, I the do. receivers have not the receivers haven't changed all year. Okay, um, with Case Keenum as the starter, he was completing 61% of his passes. Jared Goff is completing 54% of his passes. The drops have been happening all year. We've seen it. We've seen some pretty big drops. We've seen drops that led to losses in the game. Um, But when you look at Jared Goff, his numbers wouldn't be that much better because so many of his passes have been off on his own. Um, There's been drops, yeah, but in his five games starting, you know, um, we've probably seen about 10 drops. Well, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. I think he has like uh, uh, 90 completions or something like that, 91 completions. 54%, you add 10 more to it, he's going to go up to like a 55, maybe a 56, but that's it. <laughs> you know, So he's still completing less than 60%. He's not even completing 58%, which is uh, somewhere around what some rookie quarterbacks throw, probably the average 58% um, for okay sort of season for a rookie. He's not even doing that, even if you add that back on there. Jared Goff has been throwing a lot of balls high. I've watched Brian Quick have to climb ladders, 40-foot ladders, to go get some of these passes. You know, um, the ball has been off the market. There have been low passes thrown at the feet. There's a lot of inconsistencies in his ball placement right now. So I can't really sit here and say, oh, well, you know, if the receivers have caught because the receivers have been the same all year. No one's been benched, even though some of them probably should have been benched. No one's been benched. They've been the same all year. But when Case Keenan was in there, there was more touchdowns and there was more passes being caught. I don't know if that means that he just throws a more catchable ball or his ball placement is better. But what I've seen from Jerry Goff, you cannot put this all on the receivers. I know that's what uh, Jeff Fisher well, has Don't get done. me wrong. I, I'm not trying to put it all on the receivers. And I know that some people will do that who are, you know, golf yeah, advocates. Absolutely. I'm just curious about the fact that this team legitimately drops balls. Like, I mean, Lance Kendrick's on the goal line. You know, stuff like that. Um, I forget who, who dropped the ball. Man, Goff put it on the numbers for him. It was a bomb. And it's like, are you kidding me? You dropped that? Yeah, and, you're and, talking and, about last week, Mike Thomas dropped yes, that Mike Thomas, wide open, Mike, got, got yep. behind everyone, dropped it. And again, that's you stuff know. That hurts. Because that's a touchdown. Lance Kendrick, that's is. a touchdown. But that was Case Keenum, so it wouldn't have mattered. 
it is definitely, it's definitely a touchdown. Here's here's the thing. Now, me, I'm such a hard critic. I'm, I'm an asshole to a point. <laughs> I'm a very hard critic. So I look at it and I say he should have caught that ball. But then the ball was also really underthrown, too. So it's kind of a it's kind of a mix of both because now you have to decelerate, reach behind you to make the catch. It's not as easy as just a a, a, a same catch that you practice every day where you just go over the shoulder. You know, and it just kind of falls in. This is one where you have to slow down. You're trying to steal run so that the defender can't catch up with you. You're reaching behind you. Should have been caught. No way I'm making an excuse saying he sh- that it's okay to drop it. Definitely was a catchable ball. It was catchable. But could it? Ha- my question is, could it have been a better ball? And I think we both know the answer to that. It could have been a better <laughs> ball, you know. But again, it's it's fine margins like that that make the difference in these games, and it's fine margins like that that get the fans upset. And it Absolutely. also it, those fine margins inspire controversy, especially if Jared Goff were to be benched in favor of a guy like uh, Sean Mannion, who some Rams fans might be like, are you serious? This guy doesn't even belong on the team. I'm not saying I espouse that opinion at all. I'm saying there are people who will feel, there are people who will feel any kind of way about this team, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We, we've discovered that with the, uh, you know, 10 plus thousand followers that interact with us um, and, and chime in on the polls. That So it's just, I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as Matt Crevin in that I do not think it's going to make a lick of difference who's playing quarterback this week, but mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't be opposed to seeing uh uh it was just Sean Mannion yeah in in the game so you know the the other part to that and uh, there's always you know two sides with me <laughs> the other part to that is. I am really, really, really interested in getting Sean Mayen some valuable game tape because to me personally, I look at him and I say he just from what I watched in a training camp and in the preseason, I think he's probably arguably a top three, if not the number one most improved player on the team. Just just vast improvement. If he can go into the game and just play decent, just decent doesn't necessarily have to win because I think people look at this team and they say they're not built to win games right now. But if he can go into these last two games as a starter and just play decent, what type of uh, interest can he drum up? You know, I'm looking at because me, I look at it. I say, okay, this season is over. They can win these last two games. It means absolutely nothing. At best, they finish six and 10 at best. That does, you no good. So I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the future. Uh, the Rams mortgage their future <laughs> for their career. You've already given away you know? the draft pick, so it doesn't matter yeah. where you finish. So, so now my mind frame is let's recuperate some of that. And we, it'll, what can you get? You know, if Sean May, this is a quarterback starved league. Everybody's looking for quarterbacks. If Sean May can go out mm-hmm. there and play halfway decent, you don't think that there's any way possible that you could draw up some type of interest for him? It may not be a first-round pick or a second-round pick or even a third-round pick, but I think that a fifth-round pick conditional could work or, or a conditional where it could turn into a fourth if he was to go somewhere else. So there's all these different scenarios that I look at, and I just say, okay, let's get the kid in there because, like I said, you're really not doing golf any justice by having him out there getting killed. You know, So why not throw Charmaine in there See what he can do. If he does well, then you might have something, you know, or if you don't want to trade him, let's say Jared Goff 
doesn't pin out. You can have whatever whatever coach comes in here. He has no ties to um, Jared Goff. So if he comes in here, he says, "Hey, this John Mayer kid played really well. I want to have an open QB competition." Well, now we got now we got ourselves another debate going, you know. So I absolutely say throw Sean Mayer in there and let's see what you got in the kid. You know, give him a chance. You have officially swayed me. <laughs> uh, you have officially swayed me. I um, that that's actually a really logical way of putting it, and I hadn't considered that. So, <laughs> um, but you know, you you. You make a very valid point in that playing Mannion does give a quarterback-starved league a chance to look, and especially these teams that are really hesitant. A team, say, like uh, uh, you know, like the Niners, who look at it and go, okay, this guy's played in a modified version of the West Coast offense. We can pick him up in an easy trade from the Rams and then use that pick instead of wasting it on a QB because really what are your options this year? You know, Trubisky, maybe uh, uh, Deshaun Watson. Uh, I'm not 100% sold on any of those guys, and I wouldn't especially take one that high up number one overall. I think that's just patently stupid. So if you are the Niners or if you are the Browns and you don't want to waste your time drafting a quarterback, Mannion does give you an option that would allow you to, to, you know, trade for a quarterback, take something else, and see how it works out. If not, you come back to Cody Kessler, provided that the concussions don't derail his career. Because if he suffers another couple more of them, I, I just don't see him continuing. Um, uh, He's too smart. He's too smart. He went to SC. He knows what's what. He knows that if, you know, you get a couple more concussions, this stuff's going to start to add up. At what point is it worth it? Yeah. You know, here's here's a quick stat for you, you know, of why I say that the Rams should bench Jared Goff, okay? So I mentioned earlier that well, his, I would even gave him too many completions. I said 91. He has 88 completions. OK. Case Keenum started nine games and he he threw for two two thousand two hundred one yards. All right. All right. That's if Jerry Goff finishes out the season. He will not. I repeat, he will not even break fifteen hundred yards passing in seven games starting. He will barely break 1,200 <laughs> because right now he's averaging 175 yards passing the game, whereas Case Keenum averaged 220. There's just a higher success rate with Case Keenum um, with his pass attempts. You know, he's completing the ball better. He's getting the ball down. He was getting the ball downfield more, you know, um, and as crazy as it sounds, his benching, it didn't make sense when you look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a guy who wasn't ready who has shown he wasn't ready. You know, one has to ask, would the Rams have won maybe an extra game or two by now if they hadn't benched Case Keenum? (laughs) Because the passing game has been non-existent. Once you know, only 175 yards a game. They're detrimental to the team. Exactly. Their question. Before before the Case Keenum benching, the Rams were much more competitive than what they were after, after it. Whereas now there's just... There's no competition whatsoever. <laughs> you know, it's just it just doesn't exist. Um, they're not moving the ball at all. They're believe it or not, their third down conversion rate has dropped even lower. It was already the lowest in the league. It got even lower. How is that possible? I don't know. But 
he just wasn't ready and he's still not ready. You know, so when I look at that and, you know, at this point, you've already snatched Case Keenum out. You know what you have in Case Keenum. Just throw Sean Mayan in there. <laughs> you know, this offense is not it, it's not going to get worse. Come back to Keenum, though. You just made the pardon the pun, the case for Keenum. Why why not go back to him if the offense was at least you know two hundred and twenty yards and a limited number of turnovers will win you a game. What do you gain by going back to Keenum at this point? You already know what you have is not going to save the season. Really? But you have you have no clue what you have in a real game outside of preseason, other than his eleven attempts that he threw for in mop up duty last season, which he completed eight of those attempts. So again, he still has a higher, he's more efficient throwing the ball than golf and Case Keenum. <laughs> you know, so why not throw him in there? Let him start the last two games because you know what you have in Keenum. If you put him back in there, it's not going to do anything. Nobody really gives a damn about morale because half the team isn't going to be back when the new coach is hired. A lot of these players are going to get cut and they're not going to be brought back. You know, so no one cares about team morale because it's not even going to be the same team. (laughs) So why not throw Sean Mayne in there? It makes the most sense. That's a fair point. So do you think it makes that much of a difference? I mean, do you think that what what do you see that that Mannion can do? And I know that you've got a limited amount of tape to work with, but based on what you've seen, what does Mannion bring to the table for the Rams? Well, it's kind of it's weird because I can answer this question, but then I also can't answer this question because, again, every um, outside of 11 pass attempts last year, all I have the only tape I've had to go off of is preseason, which is, you know, really dialed back and things of that nature. And he's, he wasn't always playing with starters. So it really kind of jades the question a bit or jades the answer a bit. But um, so I guess I'll answer it in two ways. One, I see nothing because I haven't seen anything other than 11 passes, which is why it's important to get him in there so that we can see something. <laughs> the other side of it is from what I have seen just in those that, that, that in those 11 snaps and then the two preseason, uh, this last two preseasons, is I see a guy that's really, really good at kind of going through reads. With and if he, when he goes through his reads, he makes very, very quick decisions. He makes sound decisions, and he has some very good ball placement. Um, I say it all the time when I'm scouting uh, that ball placement is the key to accuracy. If you have good ball placement, your your completion numbers are usually going to be higher than they are going to be lower. <laughs> you know, uh, ball placement is very, very big. I think with Mayan coming out and also in his rookie season, the big thing was one mechanics being, you know, consistent with his mechanics because sometimes they're there, sometimes they're sloppy, which you expect from a young QB. So that wasn't as big of a deal to me. And then two was just pocket awareness. Those those are the, the two big things to me. You know, to, I thought Mayan was a very underrated quarterback coming out of college. I still think he's an underrated quarterback now. Do I think he's a savior of a franchise? No, but I do think he's a guy that can be that if given the right coach and under the right tutelage, I think that he can be a good quarterback for years. I don't think he's ever going to be some superstar or anything like that, but I think he has Matt Hasselback type of potential. You know, a guy that can go with there, that. play play for a team for eight or nine years. And he's capable be, of being stop. more than a game manager. He's exactly he's you know. <laughs> I think he has Matt Hat and Matt Hasselbeck went to a Super Bowl. He didn't win it, but he went to one. But no one's ever going to look at him and say he's an all-time yeah, great. He, he was lost, just a good quarterback. You know, the irony of that is Matt Hasselbeck lost the Super Bowl to a quarterback with the lowest quarterback rating in history until Peyton Manning last year. 
Exactly. <laughs> so you see my point. And Ben Roethlisberger had what a great running game and an even better defense. You know, yeah. so I think his so quarterback it, rating was a fourteen point nine in that game. I think. So you see my point. <laughs> you yeah. know, so when you look when you look at the big picture of things, I say Sean Mayne. I think he has a lot of tools. I think that he could be a good quarterback, and if he can go out there and what we have seen him progressively work on and get better at if those things can come to the forefront and shine in these last two games and remind you he had this is the perfect time to do it against the 49ers as we was just talking about with Matt their defense isn't all that so it's not like he's facing some stiff test (laughs) you know this is a chance where you can really work the system in your favor you got a defense that isn't really playing that well you got two teams that's deflated you bring in this kid that has something to prove that's that's kind of been getting really looked over a lot and he plays just decent. It doesn't have to be the most amazing. A, a decent game to me is you go out there, you throw, you throw the ball 25 times, you complete 18 of them, and you those 18 passes go for 230 yards. You know, you got yourself two touchdowns. That's a decent game. It's nothing, oh, my gosh, it's nothing like that, <laughs> you know, but it's just a decent, solid, consistent game and playing efficient. If he can do that and then he follows that up with a similar game the following week, the Rams may have something on their hands, whether they're keeping him or getting rid of him. They've created um, they've created options, which is something that you des- desperately need when you bring in a new coach and you're about to tear the roster apart and rebuild. You need those options. I am 100 percent down with that. So what we got is a couple questions. If if you want, um, not really so much a couple as much as really probably just one that was kind of phrased into two <laughs> tweets. Uh, okay. Big 73 says, your take on the Goff first one's debate. Why is one going to be a star while Goff is a bust? PFF constantly gives Wentz bad grades, yet excuses are made for him like weapons online. So what's your take on that, and how do you see it? I didn't catch the beginning of the question. Say it again for me. Okay. He said... What your take on the Wentz versus Goff debate? Why is one quote gonna be a star while Goff is quote a bust? Pro, uh, pro Football Focus constantly gives Wentz bad grades, yet excuses are made for him like weapons online. Gotcha. Um, okay, first off, I haven't heard anyone call Goff a bust. I think that's a bit of a reach. Um, he's not a bust because he hasn't had time to be a bust. <laughs> he hasn't had time to be a success. He's just not ready. <laughs> you know, there's there's a difference there. And I, 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 don't, I don't believe in calling guys bust after a year. I don't believe in calling guys a bust after two years. There's guys I've seen, Cordero Patterson, for example. I watched him after his first year, and I said, I'm not sure if he's going to be anything more than a special team. Didn't call him a bust, but I thought there was a potential for it. I don't think there's a potential for it yet with golf because we haven't seen enough, especially from the quarterback position that has so much in it. And it's not like we haven't seen golf make some really good throws. We have. So we can't call him a bust. Um, Now, why is it that Carson Wentz is getting so much praise? Well, let's see. You look at the two. um, You have one quarterback who – participated in the vast majority of the offseason program and training camp, came in when he got his start and didn't do much, (laughs) you know, just didn't look that hot. Then you have another quarterback who missed a bulk of training camp, a huge bulk, gets to start from day one. It comes in and his first five games lights it up. 
<laughs> you know, absolutely lights it up. And then he had a bit of a down spell. Went on a couple of weeks where he was just not looking as good. It looked like it looks like he was regressing. He looked more like a rookie. Um, but then the last couple of weeks, the last two or three weeks here, you know, he's kind of getting back on it. They've been having him throw the ball a lot. You see games where him throwing 50 balls a time, 55. But the game goes on and he gets better. So you see you see him literally get better throughout the game, whereas that's not something that we have seen with golf. You haven't seen golf progressively get better. You know, Wentz is one of those guys. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. He doesn't get fooled twice a lot. You know, he picks up on things pretty quick. You see him starts to figure out teams blitzes as the games go on. That hasn't been the case with Jerry Goff. So I think the reason one gets more praise than another is because, simply put, the play has been better. Um, one guy has <laughs> that you look at Doug. I would also argue too. You look at Doug Pedersen. I don't think there's a person around who thinks that he's 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 long for uh, you know. I think he's not for long as a head coach in the NFL. Um, and Carson Wentz has thrived despite that. Jeff Fisher, for all of his failures is one of the the most was one of the most tenured coaches in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wentz accomplished more than Goff with a first-time head coach to my knowledge who isn't very good. Goff had a guy who tied Dan Reeves for the most losses in the NFL, sat for 10 weeks and still for lack of a better term sucked it up. Um I just I don't think golf is a bust. I think the big problem that 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 when people hear the word bust, I think it's because they hear people talk about how golf isn't really a fit for the system. And so in your mind, if somebody's not a fit for a system and they're not destined to succeed in the system, then it seems likely that they're going to be a bust. And so people draw that conclusion naturally. Um, but that's not always the case. It just means he's not a fit for what the Rams were asking him to do. Well, you've invested all that draft capital in him. Now you go out and you get a a guy who can maybe, not that he's an option, but like a Bill O'Brien type of coach, a guy who can whisper to a young quarterback and elevate his status of play. You give him a full offseason to get acclimated with the team. Maybe you bring in a wide receiver like a Juju Smith-Schuster who will probably fall to the second round because USC receivers just, for whatever reason, don't produce in the NFL, even though Marquise Lee is quietly having a really good year. Um, But that's, that's been one good year out of a number of seasons that he's been with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, So you run the chance of getting a really good receiver in the second round, just simply due to receivers being divas uh, and, and, and oftentimes behaving themselves out of a first round selection. Um, So I I think that it is possible for a new head coach to come in, upgrade this offense and get the most out of Jared Goff. Uh, But at the present course, he is not a guy that fits well within a pro style offense. And I think that's why people think he's going to be a bust. You, you, You know, I'm so glad you said that. And because what I was going to say was if you look at um, if you look at Jared Goff and the offense he's he's comfortable in, it's being out of the gun. 
You know, that's where he's comfortable. If you gave him Sean Payton, for example, he would love it. He would probably thrive, you know, because of the type of offense that Sean Payton likes Mm -hmm. to run. Now, the issue with that is, is you look at Todd Gurley. You look at Todd Gurley, and Todd Gurley is not a good runner from the shotgun. He's comfortable from eye formation downhill because I've said it. From day one, Todd Gurley is not a running back with wiggle. <laughs> he's not a running back with wiggle. He's not going to put moves on anyone. You know, that's not his style. He's a power runner every sense, every sense of the word. He's just a power runner with a lot of speed, straight line speed. He's not a shifty runner whatsoever. So he's not a guy you want to get going laterally a lot. You know, you want to get him vertical. It's just that simple. He's not comfortable from the gun. So you have yourself a, your, you have yourself your your future star quarterback, alleged superstar or future star quarterback, and you're alleged future star running back. And I say alleged future star for a reason. I'm going to get to that. And they're, they, they both need two completely different offenses. Something has to give. Someone got to go. And that's just the truth of the matter. I've been thinking about this for weeks now. They don't fit each other. They, they, expand, they don't fit each other. my brother. Expand. <laughs> they do not fit each other at all. And that's just the simple truth of the matter. You have a guy that needs to be in the power eye. And then you got a guy that needs to be in a gun. They don't work together. <laughs> you know, this is just not – it's not a – there's not an offense out there that's going to work for these two, with the exception of maybe the Patriots, which is why Josh McDaniels makes sense. That's because that's only because if Josh McDaniels brought the same sort of preparation that Bill Belichick has, where he doesn't believe in game plans uh, to what he wants. He believes in game plans to what the other team runs. So one week you might see him line up in power eye the whole time and hand it off to LeGarrette Blunt 30 times. The next week you might see him in the gun or dropping back 40 times and just letting it rip, you know. Not everyone does that, though. Some guys just say, this is my offense. I'm going to run it this way. Jeff Fisher, for example, is one of those people. Um, yeah, seriously. It, it's, just, it's not going to work with these two players because they are too different. They don't work in the same scheme. It doesn't click like that. Um, now, to the really quick, uh, if you're going to call Jared Goff a bus, not you, but if someone's going to call Jared Goff a bus, I look at it and I say, well, then if he's a bus, so is Todd Gurley. Because if we're going off of one year – all right. If, they, if a player can come in and in one year he's a bust, Todd Gurley's a bust then. Let's be honest. He only had five good games out of the past 30. <laughs> you know, so if that's the case, if Jared Goff is a bust, then so is Todd Gurley because Todd Gurley hasn't done much of anything this year. So if you're going to call one a bust, then you have to call the other a bust. It's just that that's- simple. It's too early in their careers to call anyone a bust, is my point. I don't think either mm-hmm. one of them was a bust. But it's too early. So if he's a bust, so it's time early. Bust. I hate it because just because a guy doesn't stick well within one system does not a bust make. It yes. means he wasn't a fit for that offense. That guy could go elsewhere, thrive, and he's not a bust. He wasn't a bust with the team. The team and he were not a fit. Yes. Uh, Lanny came through in the clutch, though, and we got some listener questions to round this out. So in the interest of time, let's get to some of these listener questions and then we'll get the hell out of here. Okay, so first things first, let's talk about the Turf Show Times poll. Let's open her on up. Per the story, three names are central to the Rams head coach. John Gruden, Sean Payton, and David Shaw. Yes! Who would you want as head coach? I think you already voted, uh, but when you voted, the other two were not present as an option. So I know you spoke out in favor with Gruden, but are you still taking him over David Shaw and Sean Payton? 
Well, no. <laughs> um, I love Gruden. I do. I really, really do. Uh, and it's really a tough one because I look at Gruden and I say I think Gruden, between the three coaches amongst them, I think Gruden has the best understanding of defense. You know, I think he's more That's balanced true. than the other Sean, two. Sean know, Payton so, so. heavily relied on a man that the Rams currently Exactly. Have, but there's no telling so, whether or not he would be welcome. And that was exactly what I was going to touch on. The reason why I would take Sean Payton is because I believe if Sean Payton comes in, he keeps uh, Greg Williams there. Greg Williams goes nowhere. They have a history together. It's not like the defense has been absolutely horrible. They yards per wise, they've been a top 10 defense the last two years, you know, this year and last year. So I look at them and this is with this is with very little talent (laughs) this year in the secondary, you know, um, somehow Greg Williams has turned Maurice Alexander, who was absolutely horrible his first two years in. He didn't play a lot, but when he got in there, he made a lot of mistakes. And this year is a full-time starter for the first time. He's made him a top 20 safety. Not a lot of people realize that, but he's, I think PFF has him ranked as number 17. So you look at, you look at, you look at what Greg Williams is able to do with, little talent you know he's constantly playing guys because you know whether it's true that's getting hurt or is ej getting hurt somebody's always hurt in this secondary he somehow makes it work you know matter no matter who he has in there he's making it work i think if you brought in sean payton he would keep greg williams and remind you they won a super bowl together (laughs) you know they won a super bowl together they had a lot of success together you know that that defense didn't fall apart until the bounty gate thing where Greg Williams was suspended and then he was no longer with that team. And Sean Payton's been looking for his replacement since. If you can reunite those guys, I think you have a success. Now, the flip side to that is if I had to, if, if I can't keep Greg Williams, I would go with Gruden. No question about it. If I, uh, if I can't keep Greg Williams, I would go with Gruden. Like I said, I think Gruden's a more balanced coach. I think he understands defense better. The only reason why I don't have, um, uh, uh, excuse me, I forgot his name. Uh, David Shaw. What was my third option? David, David Shaw. Shaw. I kept, I kept wanting to say Charlie Strong for some reason. <laughs> but uh, if you don't have, hey, uh, I, you just have wanted, David I just want it noted that the black man on the podcast was the one who did that. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was me. But uh, if if I have to go, if I have to look at David Shaw, I just say, you know, yes, I, I look at Stanford. And I say they're a good team, but it's not like they're dominating the Pac-10 or Pac-12. You know, they're really not. No, this is this was this <laughs> is the only think, year that they didn't. I, and, well, they really and they, they really over. haven't though, because how many times have they been? Okay, the, the playoff system has been around for what three years? How many times have they gone? But the but but all right. See, I I get your point there, but the Pac-12 eviscerates itself. Like this is the problem. If you with are the, the if you are the, the best team, yeah. But 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 let me look at it. Let me let me try this a different way on you. The SEC structures their schedule such such that they only have to play eight teams in 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 yes. the conference. The, yes. The Pac-12 plays nine or ten, and a lot of that is because there are long-standing rivals with both teams. So even though Stanford yes. in the North, Stanford and USC have a rivalry, they'll play that game. So the Pac-12, you run a higher shot. Everybody talks about the SEC being the best conference from top to bottom. That's BS. 
That's the Pac-12. In the Pac-12, the bottom team can and often does upset the top team. You look at Oregon State during those 2008 years. USC got knocked out of the national title game because of a very close loss in Corvallis on a Thursday night. Florida loses at home later on in the season and still makes – still makes the system ahead of USC, even though Ole Miss and Oregon State finished with exactly the same records. So I get what you're saying. Pac-12 eviscerates itself. So I don't think Stanford's appearance in the Stanford consistently made New Year's six games and won the Pac-12 and was a dominant force in the Pac-12, but they have not been since they wore leather helmets. And to I me, get what you're saying 100%. But to you just me... Have, you have a different... I, I, I cannot appreciate to that. me, I look at it and I say, I want. if you're the best... I, now, again, I am not knocking David Shaw at all. I think he's a very good coach. If he was to go to the NFL, I think he'd be an okay coach. Okay? I think he's a very good coach at the college level. If he goes to the NFL, I think he'd be an okay coach. I don't think that he is a um, – I don't think that he's a the next uh, John Harbaugh because I look at John Harbaugh and John Harbaugh, you know, in four or five Jim. years, whatever it was – or, yeah, Jim, excuse me, Jim Harbaugh, you know, he lost – what was it, like six games? <laughs> you know, that's not the case with David Shaw. Um, I think I think that uh, – and also you look at what – Jim did with his uh with his roster. I think that you look at um he never won the look, Pac-12 with his roster though. True, but he had, and a he much had more, Andrew he had, Luck versus Kevin. I was Hogan. gonna I was gonna say that he did have Andrew Luck, but he also you also look at his running backs. His running backs were never as good as Christian McCaffrey. Oh, bull, bull. No, Stephon Taylor. No, Toby no, Gerhardt, no. those guys are not as good. <laughs> I don't hey, care what anyone Toby Gerhardt should have won the Heisman. If Toby Gerhardt had played for LSU, he would have won the Heisman. It's a simple uh, fact. I'm not so. Mason, it's two against one. I agree with John. <laughs> <laughs> hey. You know what? It's okay because my it's voice okay. is deeper than you guys, so that way that means <laughs> I, my vote counts as three. So. <laughs> okay, so. Let's all right. So um, Amara Kwai wants to know, and you kind of touched on this, so you can be as brief or as as lengthy as you want here. What okay. on earth are they playing at with Mannion? Either he has the potential, or they should cut him. Again, you don't know because he hasn't played. So let him play. Figure out if he has the potential, and then go from there. <laughs> you know, and we can go over this a million times, but until the guy plays, there's absolutely nothing you can do. So. Here's another one. I'm not sure, and this comes from Boover Schmidt. I'm not sure that Gruden is actually a good coach versus in good situations. I'd take Peyton or Shaw. I'm kind of inclined to agree. I see. I was looking at Brandon, and 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 he was talking about, you know, some. If you look at at, at Gruden's record, he inherited a Tony Dungy team. And did well with it, and then it started to regress. Now, while yes. he managed the defense, it was still on point more often than not. The offense was where it was at with Jeff Fisher. So you fire Jeff Fisher to hire Jeff Fisher with a slightly better version. Now, 
I am I I totally am on board with you about Gruden staying in the game and watching more film. We have no idea how Gruden would come out now. And to me that's the problem because I don't know what Gruden is at this point. If that makes sense. Oh, and absolutely. If you're the Rams and you have a number 1 draft pick that you need to succeed Else you look like a fool and you have to restart the franchise for like the third or fourth time within a decade. I I think you go with a guy like like Sean Payton who can take a Jared Goff and okay, even if this team doesn't make the playoffs every year, they're gonna score a whole bunch of points and they're gonna force teams to outscore them. Now, if Payton can put his differences with Greg Williams aside, now you're talking about a damn different product. Yeah. You know, I think with the way that you put that, it's very simple. Um, you don't trust Gruden. And if you don't trust Drew, if you don't trust uh, Gruden, there's no way you can trust David Shaw. It's just not possible. And that's because your issue with Gruden is you don't know what you're getting. Well, you're talking about a guy for the first time ever being an NFL head coach. You don't know what you're getting. So basically with your with that point of view, it's about. Uh, comfort and uh, knowing, knowing, you know. But I know what David Shaw runs in college. I know what type of system. But it will not. It won't be the same. It won't be the same at the NFL level. Well, it's a three-four scheme. It's a pro scheme. Why wouldn't it work? He runs jumbo packages, I formation. He he, he'd run a three-four scheme, but would his would his approach be the exact same? I highly doubt it. Uh, I I really don't think it would be. Um, I've never seen a, a college coach come to the NFL and run the exact same scheme. I just haven't seen it. Well, I don't so think I don't he run think... the exact same scheme, but I think his scheme is definitely NFL friendly. Is, is, is no, a... no, 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 no. I'm not saying that his scheme isn't NFL friendly at the college okay. level. I'm saying I don't think that he's going to run the same type of offense. He's going to have the same calls. He's not going to approach the, the situations the same as he did in the uh, as he did in college because I've never seen any coach do that because that will be career suicide. <laughs> you know, Fair you're enough. trying to play you're trying to play a college college approach at the NFL level that doesn't make sense. You know, so you, you can't. So you, you just can't do it. So when you look at it, I would say that um, going by the the uh, philosophy that you just laid out there, the only safe bet would be Sean Payton. Now, Sean Payton has not been relieved of his duties yet. So this is all kind of just up in the air. Um, personally, I think if Sean Payton is relieved of his duties, that's the guy that you have to go after hard. You have to put everything on him, all your eggs in one basket. You have to get him within a couple of days, <laughs> you know. But if he is not relieved of his duties, um, and John Gruden is serious about uh, staying with the, staying on air, I still wouldn't go towards uh, David, David Shaw, Shaw immediately. Okay, I would definitely interview him. I would definitely want to see where his head at, uh, what he would bring to the table. But I would I would also be looking at a Kyle Shanahan. Um, I would I would. Um, I would be trying to dig Maybe as deep Josh as I McDaniels. can. Josh McDaniels. Um, also, uh, I know, I don't know why I'm forgetting his name. Uh, the um, Mike uh, Mike Shula. I would be, I'll be looking at all of these guys because you look at. Him, I love Mike Shula because I look at what he does with so little. I like how what he's he does in, with offensive lines. That's what I like. I love it, exactly so little. <laughs> exactly what he does with so little. You know, you look at the offensive line. He took an offensive line that was literally put together with scraps and took him to the Super Bowl. People you look at the that Texas A and M offensive line that Johnny Manziel did so exactly. well. Exactly, that was my line. You look at what you look at the development that he's had 
with Cam Newton, you know, just it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Cam Newton did not play like an MVP quarterback from a passing standpoint until Mike Shula became his offensive coordinator. You see, so I love Mike Shula as a possible dark horse candidate. Um, Kyle Shanahan, he has proven it. He has it. He has it. <laughs> you know, so I definitely uh, I would say that those are guys in Josh McDaniels, obviously, that I would be definitely be interested in talking to. But I would also talk to David Shaw. But that's only if. John Gruden says, I'm staying on television for sure, no way out of it, and that um, you have uh, Sean Payton, he's not relieved of his duties. If those guys are not available, I'm going hard after the three we named and then David Shaw. But outside of that, I'm looking at Sean Payton all the way because of the the uh, connection he has with Greg Williams. I think that He's not a he's not a defensive minded coach at all, but I think that he's proven that he can have success with a guy that he just leaves yeah, alone. Yeah, he does. Because he does bring in defensive minded guys, whether it was yeah. Rob Ryan, Greg Williams, exactly. whatever the case may be. He knows what his strengths are and and compensates for that on the other end. I agree with you. Um, unlike and, and Jeff uh, Fisher, he would leave Greg Williams alone and let Greg Williams run his defense. Yeah, and, and, and I also will say this to your point. You made an extremely valid point that if you are not hiring Gruden because you don't know what you're going to get, then you can't hire David Shaw. I have to agree with you on that. If, if you're going to make the case for one, it needs to be consistent. So in, in, in either way, as I'm looking at it, I really do love David Shaw, but having been a, a Saints fan – I I know what Sean Payton's capable of, and I think he would be fantastic. I think Payton would be a great fit in Los Angeles. I think that win or lose, the Rams would be exciting, and they'd put asses in the seats. Um, yeah, it's a question. It's a question of whether or not it can they can happen. Apparently, the Saints are looking at you know modest compensation for him. Um, so if that's the case and you can get Peyton on the cheap, the Rams definitely need to look at it. But let's move on. Uh, Mike Trapp, 33, wants to know, have we seen Higby run a seam route yet? <laughs> we have. And the worst part about it is I don't think anyone realized it was him because the pass was so bad. <laughs> we have seen him hit the seam. We saw it two weeks ago. Um, Jared Goff just missed him. He just missed him. It wasn't even close. Unfortunately, because when I saw who he was throwing it to, I was like, oh, finally. And then it wasn't it was it wasn't even close. It was an overthrow. It was high and over the head. Uh, we saw it again last week against the Seahawks. The ball was kind of underthrown and thrown behind him. He tried to reach back to catch it. It wasn't a good look. So his two scene routes, he got open. The ball was just off the mark. I do not understand, Carpy45 says, why Todd Gurley is rushing so much worse this year with the same OL as last year. We have covered this endlessly. So if you, you want know, to take this <laughs> briefly and, and – I will be very on. brief. <laughs> I'll be very, very brief. Hey, you know what? Actually, before you do, let me piggyback that because Steezus Nice added in – that ever since Frank Signetti was fired, Gurley's production has never been the same. Boris is. Oh, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> so so I, I, I thought that I thought that I'd put that and at least package it as a double question. Well, you know what? I mentioned this I think last week in my um, the staff predictions for the game about Frank Signetti and Rob Boris, and it's crazy because. At the time, I think it was so underappreciated because other guys wasn't stepping up. You didn't have Kenny Britt stepping up the way he is this year, you know, but it was it, it made it very underappreciated of what he was able to do 
with Tavon Austin and Todd Gurley, the way he made them work off of each other. I've harped on this a lot. And over the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of time on my hands to go back and watch a lot of film from this year. And I've done just that. I still believe that Todd Gurley is running with less vision. I still believe the offensive line isn't opening up as many holes. But above all else, the number one reason for Todd Gurley's issues, and I am adamant on this, is I've gone by and watched all 16 games from last year, and I've watched nine games from this year. The difference is Tavon Austin is not involved in the running game, and he, they don't have that threat. When you look at his early success, a lot of Todd Gurley's runs came with, with Tavon Austin in motion. Without Tavon Austin having success, key teams are literally focused in. They're not taking attention away. There's no threat to open up backside run lanes or anything. That's the big I difference here. There's I apologize here, too, for cutting in. Colin Co. 65, I didn't even notice this. He said, in my opinion, Gurley losing 10 to 15 pounds during the offseason to get quicker has also affected his ability to break tackles. I would agree with that. He's not breaking tackles nearly as much as he was. It's not even close. It's way down because Gurley actually on a, a on a per run basis was leading the league in broken tackles last year. It's not even close. Or he was, excuse me, he was second. Number one was Benny Cunningham, <laughs> you know, but he is not even close this year. Like it really isn't. And I agree that losing weight has affected him, but he's still not running with that same patience, that same vision. Uh, well, he never really ran with the vision, but he ran with far more patience last year um, than he does this year. All right, and our final fan question here comes from the Q Crew 42, who wants to know how long before you are ready to move on from Goff? One more season, two? Man, this is me saying this. The NFL truly does stand for not for long with some of these fans. Yeah, it really does. It's far too early to even have this conversation. I mean, like I said, it's. I think guys, guys are – they expected something more than what they were going to get. You know, they got their hopes up. Me, on the other hand, I didn't get my hopes up because I've been saying this since day one, since I started scouting the kid in, you know, what was it, August or July of 2015. He's not ready. <laughs> you know, so there's no way I'm going to be down and out on the kid because I never expected him to come in and tear it up. I think the people who had their hopes up, are the ones just like, oh, well, he's not what we wanted. <laughs> you know, let's move on because they built their hopes up so much. That's just not the case with me. It's way too early to even have this conversation about if he's, you know, needs to be benched or cut or whatever it may be. Like, let me not say bench because I think he needs to be benched right now. But as far as moving on from him, I mean, come on, he only has seven games under his belt. Hey, he hasn't even played a full season. So that's that's kind of crazy. If you want to move on from a quarterback, give him th give him three to four years, see what they see what they're made of. If they're not developing, move on. And that's not golf. That's any quarterback. I 100% agree with you on that. I think it is absolutely way too early to to be looking at moving on from Goff. Um, really, though, uh, it's 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 all unknown right now. You know, people could send in a ton of questions, and the answer is going to be I don't know because this Rams franchise, whether it's look, you know, it's funny. I wanted to bring this up with Matt. 
Matt Clevin, you know, you look at Balky and he talks about the draft picks that they'd made. You know, I'm not sure if it was Lanny or Joe that had tweeted out from the Turf Show Times account. You look at the number of players from Missouri that the Rams had drafted and it was like Northwest Missouri State, you know, yeah. Southeast Missouri Tech or something like you're not talking about big schools. I mean, you're talking about farming at this point and. You know, it's not that you only have to draft from SC or Alabama or Florida or whatever the case may be, but I mean, just like he was talking about with some of the picks that they had on the Niners, the Rams have those questionable picks as well under the Fisher Absolutely. era. Absolutely. Uh, Keon Fahey had a great tweet of Jeff Fisher's draft picks, and you go through and you look at that, and man, man, your first question is, what the, f-? you know, <laughs> it's just, yeah. it hasn't, it well, hasn't quite. Been, yeah. Right quick, prime example, you, you literally spent the 32nd overall pick because I think the Saints didn't have a pick that year. You used the 32nd overall pick, first pick in the second round, on a guy from Appalachia State who everyone else had pegged as a third or fourth rounder. You passed up Alshon Jeffrey for him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insane, man. It's insane. But uh, that's a good place as any to put a cork in it because I got to get – you got some place to go. So uh, yes, what do we got coming up this week on the site, man? What you got? Oh, <clears throat> uh, You know what? I've, I touched on it a little bit. But uh, like I said, the past couple of weeks uh, with the season pretty much being over, I've had a lot of time on my hands to watch film. I'm going to be coming up with some stuff, uh, touching on Ty Gurley and uh, Tavon Austin, why the why they have not had the same sort of success. It's not – not even exceeding, but just having the same sort of success that they had last year, this year. Yep. And as for myself, I'm going to be participating in a series of articles looking at the Rams and our opinions on them. I am going to be talking about it from a guy first year perspective. So, um, yeah, be, and, stay tuned and, for and that one. more. One more thing. It's also, you know, it's that time of year. I'm deep into my scouting right now, so look out because the, the t- my top 100 big board will be coming very soon. It's almost complete. I'm still got a couple how of about, guys. I'm how about we make there. next week? How about we make next week uh, dedicate uh, maybe like a quarter of the podcast to potential draft picks? Yeah, let's do it. Let's right. absolutely do it. So if you guys have those questions, get them to us. If you want to know, we will have Classy on Derek Klassen for a section, uh, our first segment, and we will start talking draft picks and looking ahead to 2017. So for Myson, for producer Scott, who once again, thank you so much, Scott, for grabbing Matt Clevin, and also a big thanks to Matt Clevin, and please do check out voiceofthebox.com. So do check him out. We appreciate his time. We will be back next week. Uh, and we look forward to any questions you have about scouting or the Rams. So thank you for everyone here at Turf Show Times. We want to wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy Boxing Day, Happy Kwanzaa. Whatever you celebrate, have fun, be safe. Do not blow off your fingers like Jason Pierre-Paul. Just, you know, be safe. So for Myson and myself and, and producer Scott, happy holidays, and we will catch you next week here on Turf Showtime's radio. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. Fultron. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. <laughs>
The Shutdown Forecast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.